The last several messages we have been looking at what has come to be known as the Ten Commandments. This will be the last week we will take a look at those. They have referred to the worship of God. They've referred to a Sabbath rest. They have referred to honoring our parents. They have referred to not taking from a neighbor either their life, their one flesh, or their property. So we have two more to go. One kind of fits with the other as far as the taking of something. And then the other kind of at the crux of people. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, it says this, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Very simple sentence. The commentaries, whatever, take a look and say, well, what this is specifically referring to is like a judicial proceeding that you're not to, in that type of proceeding, bear a false witness lie. And if you will, that's why I kind of lump it, if you will, with the other three not to take, because in essence, this tells us not to take justice from our brother. Not to say something that would avoid him receiving what his, is due before the judges. And so in that, if you are someone who likes to parse language, you could say, okay, well, it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So as long as I'm not in court, I can say anything I want to say. That's not so true. We are used to hearing that God is love, and we sing about how God is love, and Jesus loves me, and yes, he does, for the Bible tells me. And, we, and we're comforted in that. There's very few times that the scriptures kind of say something like, God hates this. And when we read that, it kind of strikes us. For instance, in Romans, it says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And we kind of go, what? But I thought God is love. There is another passage, among others, that says that what God hates. And that is found in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and then it goes on. But I want you to understand that God hates liars. He hates the lie. He hates those types of things. And so even though the Ten Commandments, if you will, we could argue, talk about a judicial proceeding, it doesn't say it's okay to lie elsewhere. In the New Testament, we're told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you light laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Again, the New Testament incorporates the fact that lying is an evil practice. 
And those who are believers, those who are disciples of Jesus, have set aside that old self and are now to walk in his life and in his spirit, and in him is truth. He's not simply a truth, he is the truth. And when we are disciples of his, then we are to confront with truth and not lying. And as a uh, wise person said in a movie, and that's all I'm going to say about that. There's another commandment that I think that is much more uh, serious to us. Not that all of us have no problem ever telling a lie. We do. Uh, we, we will tend to maybe not tell exact lie, but we'll exaggerate or minimize the truth to avoid trouble. And that's nothing you ever have to teach someone. It's something they know on their own. So for instance, you've all heard the teacher talk about how the kid will say the dog ate the homework or an elephant came in and, and messed up the room. We're always wanting to blame somebody else and we're always at best, stretching the truth. But I find this next command one that we're all oftentimes subject to, but that can lead us to tremendous problems. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Pretty much says we're not to covet and it lists a number of things, but they're not exclusive lists. It's things to give us an idea of what we're not to covet. Coveting is something that you desire to possess something, but in essence, so that your neighbor not have it. It's not like say, gee, I would like to have a house like the Joneses. It's coveting this, I want the Joneses' house. In our world, you kind of see coveting starting to raise its ugly head in this simple way. Why did that person get that thing? How come I didn't get it? How come they got a raise and I didn't? How come God blesses that person and he didn't me? There's that sense of why does that happen to that person and not happen to me? And there's that sense of jealousy that why do they get it and I not? Why do I have this disease and that other person doesn't? I'm a better person. We seem to never be happy for other people's blessings. The blessings of God are not infinite. I mean, are infinite. They're not finite. If God blesses the Joneses, doesn't mean he can't bless the Smiths. His blessings are deeper and richer than we will ever imagine. So why is there this sense and why do we kind of have this, well, why would God do that for them and not for me? The scriptures simply say it this way. It rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen 
to good people, and good things happen to bad people. It's the way God does things. But there should not be a sense of, I want that, and why do they have it? So there's that sense of jealousy that happens in material things. And, and you can, all you got to do is if, if you live in an apartment and you go to somebody's home, say, how come I don't have a house? But you know how it works. You get a house, maybe a two-bedroom house. How come I don't have a four-bedroom house? How come my house isn't a five-bedroom house with six bathrooms? How come it isn't overlooking the ocean? How come, how come, how come? The interesting thing about material stuff is that it never seems to satisfy. It only leads to wanting more stuff. And that is why we need to be very conscious of this command and not coveting. As a matter of fact, Paul defended his ministry in Acts chapter 20, starting with the verse 31, it says this, Therefore be on the alert and, rem- and remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. Paul is saying, I minister to you. I preached the word. I taught you. I instructed you. And I did that. And I didn't wish I had what you had. And matter of fact, not only did I not wish I had what you had, I didn't even ask you for it. I worked to pay for my ministry and those who are my associates so that I could minister to, you, to the word to you without cost and without you being able to say, well, if it wasn't for the money, you wouldn't have been here. Jesus kind of hit on the point about the fact that things do not satisfy. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, And he being Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has, been, has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There are extremely wealthy people in this world. We have more billionaires by numbers than we have ever had in the history of the world. As a matter of fact, there's a movie coming out that says that there was a man so rich that he wasn't the richest man in the world. He was the richest man who ever lived in the world. Every single one of these men and women who are billionaires, when they have died or when they do die, will not take a U-Haul truck behind the hearse. Every one of those will die leaving everything they have behind. Their life is not better or more quality because they have billions of dollars. Life is not counted by an abundance of things. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you a biblical narrative. Notice I said narrative, not story. I don't like story because that sounds like a a fable, a makeup thing. This is scriptural. 
there was a young man who probably was middle class. And a man of God came to his home to anoint him king. And that man grew up and became king. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was famous. He was blessed of God tremendously. And yet with all those blessings and all the stuff that he had, the palace and the comforts and the riches, one evening he couldn't sleep. So he walked up on his rooftop, which is kind of like a, a deck, and was looking and saw a woman bathing. And it piqued his curiosity. And I suspect, based on Jesus' definition of adultery, he probably committed that in his mind because of his actions that followed. He sent messengers to find out who the woman was. And he found out she was married. Not only was she married, she was married to a gentleman who was in the army of this king. And he was out fighting the battles of the king while the king was at home. Knowing that this woman was married, brought him to his home, and I will use the euphemism, slept with her, which there was very little sleeping going on at the time. And then she bathed herself, and, and if you want to know that whole ritual, I can talk to you later about that. And she goes home. Well, later, she sends word to this king saying, I'm pregnant. Well, this is not going to look good because the, the husband is on the battle lines. So the king sends message to have this husband have a leave, a furlough, so that he could come home and that he could cover up what this king had done. Kind of a lie. But this gentleman would not go home. Instead, he slept outside the king's door. When asked why he did that, he said, I will not be comforted in my home with my wife while my comrades and others are sleeping outside and in battle. I will not do such a thing. So that kind of messed up the king's plans. So then he said, well, wait a few days and I'll send you back. So he hatched another plan. Let's get him drunk. And if we get him drunk, then he'll forget his character and go back home. Didn't work. And so this king then sent a message and sent this husband back and said, I want you to go where the greatest fighting is happening. I want you to attack that fierce spot. And then unbeknownst to this husband, I want you to withdraw your troops so that he dies. Murder. 
That's several of the Ten Commandments that this king violated. And yet this king was known as a man after God's own heart. So when we think, if I just had more stuff, I would have better character. I would cause you to remember King David. He had a whole lot of stuff, had a whole lot of power. In fact, had a whole lot of wives. But it wasn't good enough. So it doesn't matter how spiritual you may be, this command can raise its ugly head. In Ephesians 5, verse 5, it says this, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That sounds really, really bad. Well, pastor, I may not have violated the commands like David did, but I'm pretty sure somewhere along the line, I've violated one or two myself. So when the scriptures are so difficult, how is it that there's hope for me? One more narrative I want to tell you, and it's about another rich person. He's known in the scripture as a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he tells Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus responds quickly and say, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what do the scripture says? And he lists a number of the commands. We're not to murder. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to bear false witness. We're to do all these various things, not to commit adultery. And the, the rich young ruler says, I have kept all of these from my youth. But then the next statement is interesting. He says, but what still do I lack? You see, even the rich young ruler understood, even if you can and do keep the commandments, doesn't, isn't sufficient to get you into heaven. The commandments were never there to tell us how to get to heaven. It's there to tell us we don't qualify. And he understood simply keeping the commandments that he knew that there was something lacking in his life, something that was not qualifying him for that. And then Jesus said two things. Go sell everything you have. Most of us concentrate on that. Sell everything you have. Because the response of the young ruler was, he was very wealthy and he went away sad. But if you'll notice, when Jesus called other people to be his disciples, he never said, sell everything you have. Because he understood that this man was rich, and that's what his deliverance was based on. That's what his faith was based on. That was his security. And those riches kept him from seeing 
what he truly needed. And the second thing Jesus said after he said, sell everything and follow me. Yes, we are instructed both by following Jesus and elsewhere that we are to live lives that are examples, to live lives that are that resemble the life of Christ. But we do and don't do these things because we're afraid God is going to send us to hell or allow us to go to heaven, but we obey because we are following him. It's faith in him. And so as we're coming close to closing this look at these Ten Commandments, I want you to understand it. Yes, they're serious. And yes, we don't do what they tell us not to do and we do what they tell us to do. Not because the commands and therefore they're right, but they're right and therefore they're commands. And that by following the Lord, we do these things out of love and service to Him. Not out of a sense of, well, I didn't violate this one, and I didn't violate that one, and I didn't violate the other, and yeah, I lied, but I just told the ugly bride she was beautiful, so God will kind of overlook that, and so I'm better than the next person. That's, again, the whole point of the commandments was to teach us that we're not good and to instruct us once we've discovered that to go to him in faith. And so the final verse that I want us to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 15. And the verse is, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, 13 verse 15. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Another scripture, and I'll keep on, but another scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, people misquote it and say money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the scripture says. The scriptures say the love of money. When you see, I have a dollar bill and I see your need. I have a dollar bill, I see your need. I like my dollar bill more. I've decided to love money and not you. So make sure that your character, your character, kind of described as doing right when no one else sees, is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Now, that doesn't come natural. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Corinthians, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Well, how did he learn to be content? Because he relied on God, and God always provided what he needed. He learned to be content. For he himself has said, I will never desert or leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. The command tells us not to covet. Jesus explains 
that our lives is not based on the abundance of the things that we have. And the truth is, you can be the richest person that has ever walked this earth. But if the Lord is not in your life, you are poor, wretched, blind, and miserable. You just may not know it yet. But if you have experienced the grace of God, just as David experienced, for you see, David, even after committing all of these sins, when was confronted with them, did not do like many people do today. He wasn't sorry because he got caught. He repented. And not only did he repent, he cried out to God saying, create in me a clean heart. Remember the one that was, that was a heart after you, God? Make that new so that it might be so again. So David was truly rich, not because of his stuff, but because of his relationship to God. And you and I, when we are followers of Jesus, are truly rich, regardless of what our bank account may say, regardless of the place we may live, and regardless of where anybody else thinks we're successes or failures. Because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you have money, you have to worry about the stock market. You have to worry about criminals and thieves and online thievery and all the things that you got to worry about to make sure you still have your stuff. But Jesus says, even when you mess up, you're still mine. And so... I hope what we have learned from the study of these Ten Commandments is not how great we are that we've been able to keep most, but that we understand just how rich His grace is because of who He is, knowing who we are. And because of His grace, we will live in the house of the Lord forever. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year lease, not even a 99-year lease, but forever and ever and ever. I don't care how many billions of dollars you may have. I'll take living with him any day. And all God's people said,